Shakespeare, strikingly in Richard II, utilizes the phrase castle to refer not only to the house of the king, but also to his very body, his very life. A king acts, Shakespeare writes, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass impregnable and humored thus comes at the last and with a little pin bores through his castle wall and farewell king. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 263, Shakespeare in Shushan. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. This is one of the most famous literary sentences about kings, and kings are our central subject as we begin the book of Esther. Rabbi Yigal Ariel has noted that in the book of Esther, the word Hamelech, the king, appears more often than in any other biblical book. This means that we must understand the complexities of kingship in interpreting this text. And it is Shakespeare that can help us here in so many ways, as we will see throughout episodes of Bible 365 this week. The story of Esther takes place after Babel has been overthrown by Persia, and its story appears to unfold after Cyrus of Persia has allowed the Israelites to return to the Holy Land. A later king of Persia is introduced. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. In those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces, being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even 180 days, And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. The text then goes on to describe the hedonism and splendor of this later celebration. And then we are told, Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded... The seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command by his chamberlains. Therefore, the king was wroth and his anger burned in him. Already in this text, the word Hamelech, the king, has appeared so many times. And the point, perhaps, is that the text is giving us a window into the monarch's mind. Ahasuerus is obsessed with maintaining and protecting his kingship. To further understand this, let us turn to Shakespeare's Richard II, who, sensing that the rebellion against him is about to succeed, says as follows. For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court, and there the antic sits, scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath, a little scene, to monarchize, be feared and kill with looks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass impregnable and humored thus comes at the last and with a little pin, bores through his castle wall and farewell king. Richard is describing an apparent paradox. On the one hand, 
for much of the world throughout much of world history. A king was an embodiment of power and might and authority. And yet, Richard is noting, the history of monarchs is as much about the overthrowing and deposing of kings as it is about their successful reign. And the very pedestal on which kings are placed therefore makes them a target. The more powerful a king becomes, the longer one lasts on the throne, the more, Richard is saying, a king is haunted by the grisly ghost that is the sad story of the death of kings. I know of no better description, ladies and gentlemen, of the turmoil that is eternally taking place in Ahasuerus's head, a turmoil that is reflected by the text's constant use of the word Hamelech, Hamelech, the king, the king. Of Ahasuerus, it can truly be said that round the mortal temples of this king keeps death his court. Ahasuerus is a mighty monarch, and yet he knows that other now deposed kings once reigned as he did, and that therefore, in the midst of his splendor, he feels, to paraphrase Richard, death sitting at his side. Ahasuerus knows well the sad story of the death of kings because his own empire is founded on such a death. As we will see in the book of Daniel, Babylon ruled the Middle East until one night the Babylonian king Belshazzar was killed and Persia took over the empire. It is as Richard reflected, some sleeping killed, all murdered, for within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court. As the book of Esther begins, and the party of Ahasuerus is described, the king's mortality is very much on his mind. Thus, the irony of the words that appear again and again, Hamelech, Hamelech, the king, the king. These words reference Ahasuerus' obsession with his kingship, and the fact that in his mind, the more he makes manifest his monarchical might, the more he is afraid of the words, farewell king. It is this fact about Ahasuerus' mindset, and the Shakespearean passage that inspired our reflection, that allow us to understand another phrase that appears constantly throughout the text. The story in this book takes place almost entirely within Shushan Habira. These words are often translated as Shushan the capital, but it really means, I believe, Shushan the palace or the castle complex. A king's castle is his home, but it's also a place where there worked a whole host of people, servants and also courtiers such as Mordechai, the Jew. Shakespeare, strikingly in Richard II, utilizes the phrase castle to refer not only to the house of the king, but also to his very body, his very life. A king acts, Shakespeare writes, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass impregnable and humored thus, comes at the last and with a little pin bores through his castle wall and farewell king. Ahasuerus is all too well aware of this, and his solution to the dangers that face him is apparently, as the book begins, to encourage the goodwill of every member of his castle court through a seven-day party, a hedonistic satisfying of desires. The king knows that his own life depends on the loyalty of everyone in the palace, and so he seeks to satisfy them all. The king strives to protect himself by currying favor with all those in his court, but what he ends up achieving is surrounding himself with self-interested sycophants who will seek to advance themselves by fostering his fears. Thus, we are told by the book of Esther how on the seventh day of the royal feast, he seeks to entertain all those assembled with a lewd look at his beautiful wife, who was asked to appear, and this is important, becheter malchut, with the crown of monarchy upon her head. Vashti the queen, as commentators note, understands that this is a degradation, and so she refuses. But to a king who is obsessed with his safety, her refusal reflects an immediate threat. Recall Richard II's description of the vulnerability of kings. Some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives. 
some sleeping killed, all murdered. Suddenly, in Achashverosh's mind, Vashti transforms from object of admiration into potential threat. Following Vashti's refusal, Achashverosh seeks guidance from his advisors and finds sycophants. They encourage his fears, telling the king that Vashti's defiance endangers all of society and that she must therefore be immediately removed, which, for the rabbinic sages, means that she is executed. The next day, as his anger and drink dissipate, Achashverosh misses his wife and is again encouraged by sycophants to disgustingly have the women of the empire brought to him as he seeks another queen. The very crown that once adorned Vashti's head will be placed on that of another. A Jewish woman is chosen, Esther, cousin of Mordechai, the Jewish courtier. Esther keeps her Jewishness secret. And from a providential perspective, all this is, of course, setting the stage for Esther's ability to save Israel. But from a purely political perspective, can we say that Achashverosh, following his courtier's advice to rid himself of Vashti and seek another queen, was politically prudent? Consider, if a crown can suddenly be passed from one head to another, or perhaps if a crown can go from one head to another because the original head has been lost, what does that say about the head that the crown surrounds? And if a crown can go from queen to queen, can it not go from king to king? Is it only a coincidence that immediately after the seeming execution of the queen, that suddenly, as we will see, an assassination attempt is made on the king? It is here that we can return to the very way that Shakespeare in Richard's speech, describes the adornment on the head of the king. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court. As we've discussed in a previous episode, Shakespeare's meaning here is that the crown is a symbol of monarchy, but many heads have worn it. Its very hollowness ensures that the crown can be passed from one king to the next. Therefore, a society's very reverence for the power that the crown embodies can also mean that society can imagine another king wearing that very same crown. Because the crown is hollow, it could in theory be someone else who wears it instead. And therefore, Richard II is saying, no king is safe when the crown is revealed to be hollow, passable, transferable. Isn't it possible, therefore, that the very act that Ahasuerus assumes will strengthen his position within Shushan will only increase his vulnerability and tempt his political enemies? When the hollow crown is passed from queen to queen, does that perhaps make it more thinkable that the crown can pass from king to king as well, so that those that seek Ahasuerus' ill may, in the words of Richard II, seek to come at the last and with a little pin bore through his castle wall and farewell king? It is with this in mind that we can understand what immediately follows Esther's appointment as queen. A seeming non sequitur that follows the crowning of Esther is now eminently understandable. Thus, the conclusion of chapter 2. In those days, while Mordechai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigtanans and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king Achashverosh. And the thing was known to Mordechai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordechai's name. And when inquiry was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Suddenly, after queen replaces queen, it becomes more thinkable, apparently, for king to replace king. For within the hollow crown keeps death his court. Once a crown is switchable, enemies of the king seek to make it switchable again. And how, once this plot against him is thwarted, does Achashverosh react to this attempt on his life? Achashverosh now decides that he cannot keep all equally satisfied within his castle walls. And he therefore raises one of his ministers above all the others. Unfortunately for the Jews, 
Just as Ahasuerus's fears more fully dominate and infect his mind, the man Ahasuerus chooses is a hater of the Jews. His name is Haman. As Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has reflected, quote, I am certain that Haman's promotion to the office of prime minister was due to Ahasuerus's paranoid fears. And Rabbi Soloveitchik adds, in fact, the appointment directly follows the Big Tan and Teresh episode, end quote. The first chapters of the Book of Esther thus present us with three seemingly separate events, the removal and replacement of Vashti, the attempted assassination of Ahasuerus, and the sudden appointment of Haman. But perhaps they are not unrelated at all. Perhaps A led to B, which led to C. And that, in turn, will lead to D, when the vizier, chosen by the king to root out threats to the kingship, suddenly shows up and presents the king with an anti-Semitic conspiracy. The king follows his vizier's advice and, haunted by the specter of the hollow crown, immediately acquiesces to a decree of destruction against the Jews. Ultimately, Esther, with her own wisdom, will understand that it is precisely the fears of the king that must be manipulated if Haman is to be defeated and the Jews saved. It is with this in mind that we can take note of how Jews responded to the constancy of the word Hamelech in the story of Esther. As we have seen, the word appears again and again in order to indicate how monarchy and mortality are constantly united in the mind of Ahasuerus. But precisely because the word appears so often, Jews, in writing the scroll of the book of Esther, utilized on the holiday of Purim, were able to create calligraphic versions of it where the word Hamelech, the king, appears at the top of every column. This is not necessary for the legal validity of a scroll read on Purim, but it is nevertheless a very popular tradition. The placing of the word the king at the top of every column, of course, seeks to indicate that it is ultimately the one true king of kings in whom Jews place our trust, that he is the king that is truly the ruler of history. For Judaism, the true test of any king is whether that mortal king recognizes that there is only one king whose crown is not hollow, whose royal status can never be passed to another. This is the one Hamelech, the one king, who has reigned for all eternity, the one Hamelech whose providence is at the heart of our story, the king to whom every Purim Jews dedicate themselves in faith and in joy. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.